0: You're listening to an audio message from Harvest Bible Chapel in Granger, Indiana. For more information, visit our website at harvestgranger.org. In 1 Kings chapter 18, we are given one of the most epic stories in the Bible. It's such an epic story that it's referred to in the New Testament over in James chapter 5. I won't ask you to open there, but let me tell you that A little summary statement there in James chapter 5. It begins with a verse that a lot of us are familiar with. It goes like this. The effective prayer of a righteous person has great power as it is working. You familiar with that? Some of us have learned it this way. The effectual fervent prayer of a righteous man avails much. That's kind of the old translation. But it's talking about this power that we have with God In prayer. And then the very next sentence gives us an illustration of someone who had power with God in prayer, and it was a man named Elijah. The verse continues and it says Elijah was a man with a nature like ours. In other words, he wasn't anything special. He was just as powerless as you feel this morning, but he was able to connect with God with power in prayer. And he tells us about this story that we're about to unfold here in 1 Kings chapter 18. Now, before we jump into that, I want to ask you a question that I have been asking just about everybody I've bumped into this week. And I want it to sink into your soul so much that you often repeat this question to yourself throughout the week. Here's the question. When was the last time? you saw a visible demonstration of the power of God. Now, you responded just like most of the people that I asked that question to. Crickets. Or they respond to my question with a question of their own. They'll say, well, what do you mean by the power of God? And somebody said, well, I saw the sun come up this morning. That was a visible demonstration of the power of God. Yes, true, that qualifies. But the question is more in the sense of when did you see see God do something that was so powerfully remarkable it could not be explained by man-made human manipulation? It couldn't be manufactured by you. Now, listen, the longer it takes you to answer that question, the more it indicates you haven't been asking God for a powerful, visible manifestation of His power. What are you asking Him to do? Do you believe? How many believe God's powerful? Raise your hand. Believe God's powerful? How many believe God can still do the impossible? How many of you believe that there is something in your life that needs to change? That you are powerless to change? All right, now we're just like, just keep my hand in the hair in the whole time. It's like, I qualify, I qualify. If you feel like you need some power this morning, then you need to hear this message. And I gotta be honest with you, as I've been asking myself that question, no matter what the answer is, it should begin like this. Well, it's been too long. It has been too long and how often, in our church, collectively, can we point to visible demonstration of a powerful work of God? Well, we're gonna see it here in the Old Testament. Maybe the first realization is we need to we need to admit um, we cannot go without the power of God. And we've got to quit pretending that we can. Here's some statements I want you to think about as we jump into it. This is just the introduction. And uh, the first one is this. The power of God is absolutely essential. Please understand, God never intended for you to live the Christian life under your own power. The temptations are too great. The struggles are too real. Your issues are far too deep. To try to change them under your own power. It is absolutely essential that we see and connect with the power of God. If we're going to be victorious, either the troubles in your life will drive you to seek power from God or the troubles in your life will drive you insane. The power of God is absolutely essential for every person here today. The power of God is always available but it is frequently ignored. Listen, as bad as things are, as dark as things get, God has not lost an ounce of His power. He is as powerful today as He was in the days of these epic stories in the Old Testament, and we should ask Him and expect Him to do powerful things in our lives that we can't explain by our own human effort. The power of God is repelled by evil, but it's drawn to righteousness. Do you remember our verse in James 5? The prayer of what kind of man has great power with God? A righteous man. A man who is imputed with the righteousness of Christ, but then practically lives out the distinctive righteousness of someone who's empowered by God. If you've not been seeking righteousness, acting with distinct righteousness, you shouldn't expect to see the power of God. God's repulsed by evil. And so if you're going to live an evil life and not seek his righteousness, God stands back and says, fine, try to get that done on your own power. And when you realize you're powerless, I'm available. Here's the last thing. The power of God is accessed by prayer. Sounds simple, doesn't it? But how often are you asking God to powerfully work and change and move? Honestly, is it it so bad you've kind of started doubting whether or not God can change things in our culture, in your family, in your marriage? We need to ask him to do what only God can do. So in order to do that, let's get our face in the scripture here. We're going to start in 1 Kings chapter 16. I know I told you 18, but turn back. I just want to give you a paragraph here in 16 to set it up here. Now, when we were together last time, we talked about how uh, you remember the kings of Israel. There was Saul and that didn't work out so great. And then there was David and that worked out great. His son was Solomon. That worked out great for a while. But then we read last week how Solomon loved many foreign women. And that's a bad plan no matter what century you live in. And so he loved many foreign women, and he, that turned his heart away from God. Solomon's son was Rehoboam, who was a merciless ruler, which created a division in the kingdom. And now we have two kings over a divided kingdom, Rehoboam and Jeroboam. And things continue to spiral out of control until we get to this chapter, and now we're at the sixth king of the northern kingdom, Israel. And the paragraph begins in 1 Kings 16, verse 30. If you're there, say, I'm there. Verse 30, and Ahab, the son of Omri, did evil in the sight of the Lord, more than all who were before him. Um, I, I took a little trip down to the nursery this morning, and I was just checking to see if any little Ahab's. Um, had arrived. And uh, lo and behold, we have no little Ahabs in the nursery this morning. Not a popular baby name. Why? Because he did evil in the sight of the Lord. Verse 31. And as it had been a light thing for him to walk in the sins of Jeroboam, the son of Nebat, he took for his wife Jezebel. I I checked and we we have no Jezebels this morning in the nursery either. Jezebel the daughter of Ethbel king of the Sidonians and went and served Baal and worshiped him. He erected an altar for Baal in the house of Baal which he built in Samaria. And Ahab made an Asherah. Ahab did more to provoke the Lord the God of Israel to anger than all the kings of Israel who were before him. Things are bad. In Israel. As a matter of fact, it appears the promise is about to die again. Is God going to keep his promise? Chapter 17, verse 1. Now Elijah, we got an Elijah in the nursery. Now Elijah, the Tishbite of Tishba in Gilead, said to Ahab, Now, before I read this, let me just say to you, With this verse, we are introduced to a prominent role of leadership in the Old Testament. We've already been introduced to some kings. How's that going under the kings? The kings tend to forget God. And they tend to start building their own kingdom and realize whose kingdom this really is. And then we've already been introduced to some priests. The priest's role, there was a very important leadership role for the priest in the kingdom. They were to be the ones that stood in the gap between the people and God. They represented the people before God. They represented God before the people. And the priest would do a pretty good job, but they weren't so much spokesmen. They kind of had behind the scenes, behind the curtain duties, right? So we're introduced to this third type of leader, and he is known as a prophet. So we have prophet, priests, and kings giving leadership in the Old Testament. Now the role of the prophet was to get a word from God and to be sent by God to remind the king the promise is not dead. And if you don't repent, we're all going to be dead. That was kind of the message of the prophet. Um, That was an important role. And so Elijah is this prophet who goes before the king. And in chapter 17, verse 1, he says, as the Lord, the God of Israel lives. Now, that that is not just kind of letterhead at the top of his letter. That is a statement that the God who gave the promise is still alive and the promise is still alive. He is a living God. He is a powerful God. And he's going to keep his promise. And so by that authority and with that word, Elijah says, Before whom I stand, there shall be neither dew nor rain these years except by my word. In other words, God is going to shut off the flow of water to the nation of Israel for three and a half years. Now, if it didn't rain in northern Indiana and southern Michigan for three and a half years... Do you think that might have an economic impact? Yeah. Do you think that might get us to the point where we would start looking for solutions outside of ourselves? Do you think that might get us to realize we're powerless to change the situation? Well, that's exactly what Elijah said God was going to do. He wanted the people to know their only hope out of their situation was the power of God. And it wasn't until they admitted that their power was not sufficient to change the situation that they would turn to God. So Elijah is faithful and says this. Now skip over. I want you to go to 18, chapter 18. I want you to look at verse 17. The conversation continues between Elijah and Ahab. And now we see Ahab who is going to speak in response to Elijah. It says, when Ahab saw Elijah, Ahab said to him, is it you, O troubler of Israel? What? The only guy around who's actually connected to God, listening to God, and speaking for God gets blamed for all the problems in Israel. That has been a pattern of human history. Have you noticed that godless people tend to blame the godly people for the problems in the land? That still happens today. Just like Israel, by the way, I'm about to save you 30 minutes in your daily schedule. You don't have to read the newspaper, you don't have to search the internet, you don't have to watch the evening news, because the problems in Israel at this time are the same exact problems that we're having here in America. Do you understand that we in America are in a spiritual drought, that we have forsaken the true and the living God, we've plugged into all our other sources of man-made power, including electricity, including education, in engineering, in entertainment, we've plugged into all kinds of man-made sources to figure out our problems and our troubles, and yet the trouble is spiritual. We are facing a flood of evil. And America is facing an evil unlike it has ever known before. And it has all kinds of different symptoms, whether it be white supremacists full of hate marching in the streets of Charlottesville, Virginia, or whether it is a tyrannical ruler in North Korea who hovers over a nuclear missile launch button, we are facing an evil trouble like we've never known before. And it is time for the people of God to speak as prophets of God to make sure the leaders know we're not the trouble you are. It's exactly what Elijah says in the next verse. Verse 18, he answered, I have not troubled Israel, but you have. Don't you like prophets? (laughs) Just cut right to the chase in a selection of just a few words. They put their finger on the problem and he identifies Ahab is the problem. He goes on, and your father's house. Now he's calling out his family. I mean, I would have called out his mom. He calls out his dad. In your mama's house. In your father's house. Because you have abandoned the commandments of the Lord and followed the Baals. And therefore send and gather all Israel to me at Mount Carmel and the 450 prophets of Baal and the 400 prophets of Asherah who eat at Jezebel's table. So he says, let's have a smackdown right now and let's find out who has the power and so he calls the prophets of Baal now let me tell you a little bit about Baal okay Baal was the Canaanite rain God the storm god the god of of lightning and thunder and rain and so when elisha says there will be no dew and no rain for three and a half years do you know what Elijah is saying your God's Powerless to do anything about it. And so he says, Let's have a smackdown. And he calls all the prophets of Baal, it's 450 of those guys, and then their allies, the 400 prophets of Asherah. I went to public school, but that's somewhere around 850. And so uh, he calls them together, so it's 850 to 1. That is not a fair fight for the prophets of Baal. (laughs) Because They are crying out to no one who is listening. Now, Baal, Baal was the god of fertility because if it rained, the crops grew, the people had um, uh, water to drink and and the animals had, everything was fertile. If it didn't rain, there was no, everything was infertile. Now, these people were so sick. Do you know what one of their worship practices was? I mean, we think about we, we, we preach, we pray, we sing, we read scripture to one another. Do you know what they did when they got together to worship? They had sex in the temple to Baal. And somehow they thought that their sexual activity was going to empower their God of fertility to grant more fertility. Everybody turn to your neighbor and say, that is sick. <laughs> and everybody turn to your neighbor. That is not happening here this morning. That is not <laughs> what we do to worship our God. Okay? So that's what they did. That's how sick they were. And so Elisha says, we're going to find out who is really to blame for the spiritual drought. If you want to see the power of God, number one, stop blaming your troubles on others. Look yourself in the mirror and ask yourself the question. Is the chaos and the turmoil and the constant conflict that I am in a result of abandoning the commandments of the Lord? And you will find your answer in the mirror. You are your own trouble. And why should you expect the power of God on your life if you have abandoned the commandments of the Lord, if you are in a spiritual drought, if God seems far away from you, if your prayers go unanswered, then you need to ask yourself the question, are you even in right relationship with him? Have you put yourself under his authority? Are you living a life that is righteous so that it doesn't repel the power of God, it actually attracts the power of God? Stop blaming your troubles on everybody around you. That's what Ahab did. Here's the second thing. By the way, that's Mount Carmel. I was on Mount Carmel back in April. It's an actual place. And so here's the second thing. Stop wavering between two opinions. The conversation between Ahab and Elijah continues in verse twenty. Ahab sent to all the peoples of Israel and gathered the prophets together at Mount Carmel. And Elijah came near to all the people and said, How long will you go limping between two different opinions? If the Lord is God, then follow Him. But if Baal, then follow Him. And the people did not Answer him a word. Crickets. Why? Because Elijah knew they were bouncing back and forth between the God they would worship. Either the almighty, all-powerful God Yahweh of the promise or the gods of Baal and Asherah. And they would bounce back and forth trying to make up their, they, they would go wherever they thought the power might be. And you know what? So many people do that that have gathered here this morning. It is so heavy on my heart to know that some of you scraped yourself out of bed this morning. You went to the trouble to come to church because you honestly said, I need to connect with God. I need. I need his power. So here you come limping into the service. And you, after an hour and a half, will leave, and you're like, okay, I felt like I got something out of that. Maybe. One out of three Sundays. I feel like I get a little connection with God. And the problem is, is you go right back on Monday through Saturday, limping back to your sorry old little God with a little G. How long are you going to do that? I used to travel with a guy in Life Action who used to preach this message, and when he got to this point in the message, he would look at the people and he'd say, if your God is the God of pleasure and leisure, why don't you get out of here? Go on and serve your son God on the beach. If your God is the God of money and wealth, then get out of here. Go serve your career. Go serve your IRA. If your God is the God of vacations, then get out of here, go serve your vacation home and your boat. But when your children start to forsake you and your marriage starts to crumble and when you have a health crisis, then why don't you go bow down to your boat and see if it'll deliver you? (laughs) Of course, I would never say that. (laughs) How long are you gonna do that? Make up your mind. If the Lord is God, then follow him. Give him your whole heart. And if you don't think he is, then why don't you sleep in on Sunday morning and quit wasting your time and taking up a seat around here? We need your seat. Quit limping between two different opinions. Make up your mind. And so it continues, verse 21, verse 22. And Elijah said to the people, I even I only am left a prophet of the Lord, but Baal's prophets for 450. He's gonna have a little bit of a pity party there. You ever felt like that though? You ever felt like you're the only one trying to listen to God and obey God? If you live for God, There's going to be a time when you have to stand alone in the face of everybody else bowing down to their little gods with little G's. There will come a time when you're the only one not giving yourself on Friday and Saturday night to alcohol and getting drunk and carousing. There will come a time where the only one left who's not Having premarital sex and extramarital sex and saturating your entertainment choices with sex like Game of Thrones. And it's like, oh, well, that's the most popular show and I've got to keep it. Quit wavering between two opinions. If the Lord is God, serve him. Stop wavering between two opinions. Number three, stop faking the fire. Look at verse 23. Let two bulls be given to us and let them choose one bull for themselves and cut it in pieces and lay it on the wood, but put no fire to it. Do you see that? Underline that. Put no fire to it and I will prepare the other bull and lay it on the wood and put no fire to it and you call upon the name of your God, With a little g. And I will call upon the name of the Lord, the God who answers by fire. He is God. And all the people answered, it is spoken well. In other words, amen. We like prophets that speak the truth. And so they accept the challenge. But I want you to notice, do you see he said, put no fire to it. Now, in a moment, we're going to learn that Elisha is going to pray that the fire would fall. And you may not even notice this morning, you've already prayed that because that was in the songs we sing. What does that mean? We're asking God for a visible demonstration of His power. In a moment, Elisha is going to simply pray a 23-word prayer. And in response to his obedience, his boldness, his humility, and his desperation, God is going to answer by fire. But he says, don't you be sneaking around and putting some little spark under there pretending like God did that. You know what he's calling out? He's calling out man-made religious emotional attempts to get a response that had nothing to do with God one of the saddest realities is there will be people in churches all across the world today where preachers and worship pastors and congregations will try to fake the fire. And they will throw out the God-given means of prayers and bold proclamation of the Word of God and confession, and repentance, and humility, and brokenness, to simply ask God to do in us that we cannot do ourselves, they will forsake all of that, and they will substitute technology, and music, and emotional stories to try to get a response from God's people because they've given up on the promise that God will do what He said He would do. Can I just tell you by God's grace... We don't do that. We are not going to fake the fire. We're going to humbly admit when the fire is gone. We're going to humbly admit when we're in a spiritual drought. And we're going to pray for rain. And we're going to pray for fire. For for God to do what we cannot. We're not going to manipulate. We're not going to manufacture through human means what God can do. Only He can do. Stop faking the fire and stop acting like you're more powerful than you are. Take off the mask this morning, humble yourself, and admit it's been a long time since I have seen the visible demonstration of God in my life. And so Elijah calls them and says, Don't fake the fire. And then the conversation continues in verse 26. It says, So they took the bull that was given them. And they prepared it and called upon the name of Baal from morning until noon. And they said, oh, Baal, answer us. But shockingly, there was no voice. And surprisingly, no one answered. Do you know why there was no voice and no answer? Because there is no Baal. They're praying to the wrong God. And they limped around the altar that they had made. And at noon, Elijah mocked them saying, this is one of my favorite verses in the Bible. I don't know about you. I have a bit of a dry, sarcastic humor. It's biblical. It's right here. Elijah mocked them saying, cry aloud for he is a God. (laughs) Keep going, guys. Cry louder! Maybe he's getting old. Maybe the batteries in his hearing aid have gone out. It, maybe he's musing. Maybe he went to the library. Maybe he's surfing. The, maybe he's Googling something. He's musing. He's thinking. You're going to have to get his attention. Uh, or he's relieving himself. Did we just read bathroom humor in the Bible? <laughs> oh, my God. Maybe he's on a journey. Maybe he went on a vacation. I mean, maybe he just put the the out-of-office reply on his email. He'll get back to you. Or perhaps he's asleep. (laughs) He's asleep. You have a God who sleeps. That's awesome. And he forgot to set his alarm, or maybe he didn't charge his iPhone and the battery went out. Elijah is having a blast (laughs) in the midst of these guys trying to conjure up a response from a God who doesn't exist. Verse 28... They took his advice. They cried aloud. And then notice they cut themselves after their custom with swords and lances until the blood gushed out upon them. Isn't it interesting that something within the heart of these men who were very sincere in their desire to connect with a God who has power. They knew that blood would have to be shed in order to get the attention of God. Listen, if you've ever been tempted to cut yourself, do you know what that identifies in your life? It identifies you crying out to the wrong God. And yet there's such a hole in your heart that you know you're such in a spiritual drought. He seems so far away from you. The solutions and the troubles, the troubles in your life seem like they have no solutions. And the solutions are with this God who seems so far away. What you need to know is this. You don't have to cut yourself. Because God the Father cut his own son to shed his blood on your behalf so you wouldn't have to cut yourself. As those whips went across his back, they put deep cuts in the body of Jesus on your behalf. God the Father cut his son so you wouldn't have to cut yourself. And these men didn't know that. They were crying out to the wrong God. The story continues, verse 29. And as midday passed, you talk about long services. I mean, from morning to noon, now we're in the afternoon. As midday passed, they raved until the time of the offering of the oblation, and there was no voice, no one answered, no one paid attention because no one was listening. Because they had their back turned to the real God, they weren't calling out to the real God. Stop faking the fire. Number four, start repairing the altars. Verse 30, and Elijah said to all the people, come near to me. And all the people came near to him and he repaired the altar of the Lord that had been thrown down. The altar of the Lord had been thrown down. It had to be put back up. That altar represents the meeting place with God. It represents the the means by which we intentionally come before the presence of God. And maybe the altars have been broken down in your life. What are the altars? So often, just the, the basic spiritual disciplines of reading God's Word listening to his spirit, asking him to work powerfully in our lives, bringing the whole family on the first day of the week into the gathered assembly of God's people, serving God's people, giving from that which God has given us, All of those are altar points at which we come and we show God, you are the one who is the true and the living God, the God that we worship, the only God who can answer in power. The altars had broken down. The altars were rebuilt. Maybe your altars need to be rebuilt this morning. Altars of humility. Altars of righteousness. Altars of sacrifice. Verse 31 says, Elijah took 12 stones according to the number of the tribes of the sons of Jacob to whom the word of the Lord came saying, Israel should be your name. Skip down to verse 33. And he put the wood in order and cut the bulls in pieces and laid it on the wood. And he said, fill four jars with water and pour it on the burnt offering and on the wood. And he said, do it a second time. And they did it a second time. And he said, do it a third time. And they did it a third time. Four jars filled three times 12 jars of water on the altar. Why? What was the most valuable, costly commodity in Israel at this time? Water. Those men must have thought it has never cost us so much to see a powerful demonstration of God's promise in our lives. Why did he ask him to do that? Because Elijah knew once he got the water supply of Israel on the altar, he had the hearts of Israel on the altar. Worship is costly. Grace is a free gift of God to anyone who will humble themselves and embrace it. But it will cost you the most valuable things that we want to hold on to. Now the great news is if we'll put it on the altar, God will give so much more in return. But we have to repair the altars and then finally we have to start believing in the power of prayer. Here's the prayer mentioned in verse 36. And at the time of the offering of the oblation, Elijah the prophet came near and said, O Lord, God of Abraham, Isaac, and Israel, let it be known this day that you are God in Israel and that I am your servant and that I have done all these things at your word. Answer me, O Lord. Answer me that this people may know that you are Lord, you are God, and that you have turned their hearts back. Then... The fire of the Lord fell and consumed the burnt offering. You see, when God's power comes, it consumes sin, it consumes pride, it consumes everything, every other thing that we've tried to reach out to for power. It's an all consuming fire that purifies and leaves only the pure behind. So the fire of the Lord fell. Then verse 39, and all the people saw it and they fell on their faces and said, the Lord, he is God. The Lord, he is God. Do you see what happens when God answers the humble prayer of a people who are powerless in themselves? God loves to show up and not make much of me but to make much of himself. This whole thing took place so that the people of the earth would know there's only one God who has the power to change a circumstance. Stop wavering between two opinions. Stop faking the fire. Believe firmly in the power of prayer. Do you need power this morning? You're in a spiritual drought? This is the way we're going to end the service. We're not going to have a formal dismissal. We're not going to sing a song. Micah's going to come. He's going to play quietly on the piano. But but I want to give you an opportunity just to apply these last two points. Do you need to repair, repair the altar in your life, the meeting place with you and God? Are you ready to admit that you're powerless to do anything about your situation or maybe the situation in our culture? I want to open up this altar here at the front of the worship center. I want to invite you to come and just kneel, maybe as a visible demonstration of your humility so you can see a visible demonstration of the power of God. I want to just invite you to come. Others of you may just want to remain there and kneel at your seat, but did you see the order? The fire of God fell and the people fell. When's the last time you fell on your face before God in response to His power? If you're in a spiritual drought, if you're longing to see a visible demonstration of the power of God, would you come to this altar, just kneel, fall on your face. Maybe repent of other things that you've been turning to. Invite you to come. There's no formal dismissal. Whenever you feel like God is finished with you, you can be dismissed. I want you to remain quiet as you circulate out of here. Let's turn this place into a place of prayer.